You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. Good to see you guys here today. Quick announcement before we jump into our text today. Um, Very uh, cool mission trip we're going to do beginning on August 31st. I'm going to take a team to Washington, D.C. to help our church planner, Pastor Greg. Uh, He's been looking for a location for uh, over a year now and has been really working hard on this. Finally found a space and uh, uh, worked it out. Today, his first Sunday uh, in that new space. And uh, so I want to take a team and we're going to do some light construction. So if you can build stuff, if you are uh, a handy guy, if you are an electrician, if you can paint, uh, or if you uh, like to do evangelism, uh, I could use you. In fact, if you can make a sandwich in the name of Jesus, I could use you on this trip. It's going to be a great trip, and it is kind of a short notice type trip. So uh, if you are interested at all, stop by the Connect Center today, and uh, they will give you some more information. I'm super excited about it. If you know Greg, uh, if you're uh, friends with him online, social media, whatever, send him some love today and encourage him. I know it will mean a great deal. Uh, Well, if you've got your Bibles, let's go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. We're in a series entitled Almost Christian. You know, the word almost can be a harmless word, or it could be one of the saddest words in the English dictionary. Think about it. In the harmless sense, the word almost is not too bad. I mean, I'm almost ready, not too bad, or I'm almost done with dinner. Right? That's, that's harmless. But in the sad sense, if you hear someone say, I almost made the team, <laughs> that means they did not make the team. Or I almost got the new job. They, you know, they almost got it, which means they didn't get it. I think one of the saddest stories that I have heard recently after watching a, a documentary about it was about a basketball player by the name of Lenny Cook. Lenny Cook, in the year 2000, was said to be the greatest basketball player in the country. He was six foot six, a basketball machine, right? He could shoot the three, he could post you up. And now this was the era of LeBron James and Carmelo Anthony as well. When they were in high school, they were all the same age, all playing against each other. And everybody said, Lenny Cook is the next Michael Jordan. Well, his destiny was changed because he stopped going to class He let the fame and he let all the notoriety kind of get to him. He started partying and and getting into alcohol and drugs. And and, uh, his his life began to kind of veer off of this path that that everyone thought he was on. Not only that, but like even though he was going through some of those tough decisions and bad decisions, the best colleges in the country were still offering him a full scholarship to come and play basketball. Well, after his junior year, he, he in fact left the high school he was at, didn't even play high school. After his senior year, colleges still wanted him. NBA teams were saying, hey, we're going to draft you. But he didn't show up to the NBA practices, and he kept partying even harder and harder. The 2002 draft came along, and he didn't get drafted in the first round. And he didn't get drafted in the second round either. In fact, he didn't get drafted at all. People say that Lenny Cook was the greatest basketball player that never played in the NBA. You can watch that documentary. It's really sad, but, but I, I say that because, you know, he, he almost made it to the NBA. 
He, he almost became an NBA star, but he never made it, right? In, in the sad sense, I mean, it couldn't get any worse than, than that. We're in a series that we're calling Almost Christian, and the whole idea of the series is that when it comes to faith, almost means never. In the example of, of Cook, almost an NBA star, means he never was an NBA star. All the hype, all the hope, all the potential didn't amount to anything because he didn't do what was necessary. And when it comes to faith, some of you aren't almost Christian. You're so close to Jesus. I mean, you're so close to faith. You come to church, you look the part, you talk a good game, you have some knowledge about the Bible, but you do not have what is necessary to be a true believer and follower of Jesus. You're an almost Christian. And the almost Christian has at least two false beliefs. We're going to talk about one today. We're going to talk about one next week. But the false belief that some of you carry in the room today is this. You believe that you just need to be a good person to go to heaven. I just need to be a good person to go to heaven. Some of you believe that, hey, I am a pretty good person. Now, this is a common belief in our country, right? You just got to be a good person. And, and then we believe that, yeah, everybody's going to go to heaven if they are good enough, right? Well, earlier this year, there was a USA Today article entitled, Are You a Good Person? And in this article, they talked about what it means to be a good person. They talked about the values that we have and how we develop those values. And what was really interesting is a recent poll that they did. And, and the poll said that in 2017, the number one New Year's resolution was, guess it, what was it? Lose weight. Thanks for participating. Nobody. <laughs> Are we awake? Right? The number one 2017 was, I'm going to lose weight which is what it is every single year until 2018. They said that, the, that this was the first year that it has changed, and the number one New Year's resolution this year was, I want to be a good person. I want to be a good person. Now, doesn't that give us all the good feels this morning, right? Oh, it's so sweet. We want to be good people. But the problem with wanting to be a good person is that every single person in the room and every single person in the country has their own idea of what a good person is. What you think is good and moral is going to be slightly different than what I think is good and moral. And there's going to be a thousand different people give a thousand different answers. What you think is fair and just is going to be different from what someone else thinks is fair and just, depending upon how you were raised and where you were raised and what your parents taught you or, or didn't taught you. And we all tend to judge ourselves on our intentions. And we judge other people uh, in, in, in by what they do, by their actions. Like, you know, if you're a teacher, kids are in, in, in your class and the one kid, will, he'll judge his, 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 his actions based on his intentions. Well, I didn't mean to cheat. It was an accident, right? But that same kid will look at his buddy and say, no, he meant to. He deserves an F, right? And we do that on every level. We judge ourselves on intention. We judge others on their actual actions. And, and so we've got to just ask the question, like, what does it mean to be a good person? Is the guy who is sweet to his mother but mean to his kids a good person? Is the guy that gives money to help refugees, but cheats on his wife, 
a good person? We're going to have different answers on that. Why? Well, because we all have a different opinion of what a good person is. So who gets to decide? Who decides who is good and who is moral and who is not? In the same article, Dr. David Pizarro, a Cornell University professor, he studies morality and judgment. He says that there is evidence that suggests that we are born with some innate sense of morality and fairness. So, so his research shows that every single person has some concept and idea of morality. And he's right. In fact, thank you, Dr. Pizarro. God told us this 2,000 years ago in Romans chapter 1, which describes that every single person, God has written upon our conscience the ability to know what is right and what is wrong. And so, yes, we all can do some good things. We can all be moral apart from being a Christian or apart from even knowing who God is. It doesn't matter who you are. Because of this sense of morality that God wrote upon your heart, you can do some good things in life. However, we cannot do what is perfectly good. We cannot live a perfectly good life because we, our judgment, every single one of us has a flawed judgment, flawed morality. Why? Because in Genesis chapter 3, Adam sinned. And when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and that sin nature was passed down to every single human being who has ever lived other than Jesus Christ. And so because of that sin, it has flawed our decisions. It's flawed our morality. We have a sense of what is right, but because of sin in our life, we cannot perfectly live a good life. We cannot perfectly be a good person. And God demands perfection. God cannot allow sin into heaven, right? And so we've got people who can do some good things, but we're not perfectly good. And I, I would think that everybody in here would say, <clears throat> excuse me, would say, yeah, I'm a pretty good person from time to time, maybe, but I'm not perfect. Every single person would say, yeah, I'm kind of dealing with certain sin in my life. And the reality is God can't allow you into heaven because of whatever sin you're talking about. And so when we think about that, he can't allow sin into heaven, then we as humans are in a huge predicament. How are we going to get heaven? How are we going to, how are we going to live for eternity if, in fact, we're not really good people. But see, the almost Christian doesn't believe this. They believe that they are basically a good person and that basically good people are going to go to heaven. They believe that, yeah, maybe God does exist, but he doesn't really get involved in the world. They believe God wants people to be good and nice and fair. And yeah, the Bible teaches that, but so do all the other religions in the world, Right? They believe that central to life is just simply to be happy and to feel good about yourself, have good self-esteem. They believe that God doesn't really need to be involved in your life unless there's a big problem, and then we need him, and then we'll look to him, and then we'll tweet about him, and then we'll Instagram him. They believe all good people are going to go to heaven. So here's the reality. This kind of religion, this kind of spirituality it doesn't want to talk about repentance. It doesn't want to talk about living a holy life. It doesn't want to talk about building character through suffering. It doesn't want to talk about what it, what it, 
really means to serve other people. It doesn't want to talk about what it means to treasure Jesus more than anything else in your life, to give him glory in all aspects of your life, and to worship him and to give him all authority of your life. No, that's not what it's about at all. It's only about getting along with other people, seeking your happiness, and listen to me carefully. That belief system will send you to hell. In Luke chapter 18, verse 19, Jesus tells a story about the guy who thinks he's good and the guy who understands his sin. Here's what he says. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Now let's just pause. So the audience that he's talking about, the audience he's addressing is a group of people that think their belief system is higher than everybody else's belief system. What we do and what we think is perfect and good, and if you don't believe like I believe, I don't even want to talk about it. I don't even want to engage you. Here's the reality. I'm good. I'm better. And I feel sorry for all the rest of you people. So quite the same audience that we have today in our culture. He says this. Here's the parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to the house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So the Pharisee believed he was a good person, and he gave his, his personal list of achievements to God. I'm not like other people. I'm good, right? I'm, I'm a moral guy. I'm like the guy who doesn't believe like me. I go to church, you know? I'm I'm, you know, let's just be honest. I'm a little bit better than them. I have a job. I, I have, you know, money. I, I'm an American. I don't have any addictions. And, 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 and I have a good, you know, reputation. So I fast. I give my tithe. Notice he doesn't pray for forgiveness. And he's basically telling God, God, you are so stinking lucky to have me on your team. The only problem is he's not on God's team. He's counting on his own righteousness to be saved. He's counting on his own achievements, his own morality. I just have to be a good person. And he basically believes that, that, that he'll be saved if he tries hard enough to be good. Just like some of you. There's no evidence in your life of true repentance. There's no evidence in your life of true worship of Jesus. And so you, you come to God just like the Pharisee. If I asked you, hey, how, how, you know, tell me about why you, you think you're, you're going to go to heaven. Many of you would say, well, you know, I was baptized as a kid. 
Some of you would say, man, I go to church. Man, I I try to live a good life. Those are the top three answers that I hear over and over and over again by good old boy Southerners who are somewhat uh, familiar with church and, and, and familiar with faith. I was baptized. I go to church. I try to live a good life. Let me tell you, that faith system is going to send you to hell. That is your personal achievement list, just like the Pharisee. God, I fast, I pray, I go to church. I'm not like the other people, right? I'm, I'm a good guy. That's not what's required in order to go to heaven. The tax collector, on the other hand, he can't even look to heaven He can't even look to heaven. In other words, his posture, his body posture is already so humble before he even speaks a word, showing God through the posture of his body that I am not worthy. And he beats his chest. Why? A sign of grief over his sin. A sign of of, of repentance over his sin. And he prays, be merciful to me, a what? A sinner. He recognizes that he's a sinner, deserving of God's punishment and judgment. And he recognized his need for God to cleanse him, not just to make him a good guy, but to change him from the inside out. He simply recognized he wasn't a good person. And that's good because all throughout the Bible, Romans chapter 3 especially, verse 10 says that there's no one righteous, not even one. Verse 23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person in this room has sin in their life. And that makes you not a good person. (laughs) That makes you worthy of hell because God demands perfection out of his creation. Who walks away justified? Who walks away right with God? That's a legal term that they would use in a courtroom When I am justified, it is God declaring that I have been made right. Not because I'm good, not because I've done anything, but he makes a judgment based upon faith in Jesus and declares you right. Who walks away right? Not the Pharisee who thinks he's good. The tax collector walks away justified. Why? What is required? If you're taking notes, here's what's required. A conviction that leads to contrition. A conviction that leads to contrition. Now, what is contrition? We don't use that word, but it's so powerful. Contrition just simply means it's an inward repentance, an internal heart repentance that says that I am sorrowful in my heart because of my sin. There's a detestation of sin within your heart and within your life towards sin. And the goal is that I'm not going to do that again. So this is an attitude. This is a conviction that we share. It's where we start. It's where we say, I am a sinner. I know that I'm in need of God. I know that I'm in need of forgiveness. And so there's this sorrow in our heart. The word contrition comes from a Latin word, contritio, and it means a wearing away of something hard, a wearing away of something hard. And so I brought something to help us illustrate this. This is a brand new, still has the tags on it, baseball glove. Any baseball players in the room? 
or ex-baseball players, maybe some softball players in the room. If you have ever played the game of baseball or your kids play, you know when you buy a brand new glove, is it soft or is it hard? It is extremely rigid and tough and hard, and I can't, with all my strength, I can't like barely bend this glove. And if you were to throw a ball at me right now, I may or may not be able to knock it down, but I certainly can't catch with this glove. It's not ready for the game. It's not ready, you know, to to be used at all. And so this is very rigid, very difficult to mess with, but this is my old glove. Right Now, what do you do with a really stiff, rigid glove like this? Well, you've got to go get leather conditioner, right? And you rub the leather conditioner all over it. Then you take a ball, you put it in there, then you wrap it up, and you leave it there for a day or two. Then you get it out, and you've got to bend it, right? And then you've got to get out in the yard, and you've got to play, and you've got to pass. You've got to use it, right? You've got to wear down the rigidness. Like, I can't even open this one. This one's... I mean, this one's loose. This one's ready to go. In fact, can you throw it to me? See if I can get it. Good one. Ah, see that? See how easy that is? Man, I still got it. But <laughs> good, good throw. It was a throw. You see, this represents a heart of contrition. This represents the wearing away of the hardness of your heart. What can you do with this one that you can't do with this one? Well, This one can be used. This one cannot. For some of you in the room, your heart, you think it looks good. It's got potential. Some things that look good about it. Some things that you're working on, but you are almost a Christian. You haven't done what is required to receive forgiveness of your sin and to be used by God for his glory. You haven't given him all authority. You haven't given him all control. You haven't made him the Lord of your life. See, an attitude of contrition means that your heart is pliable now. God can use you. In fact, God tells Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 36, God says, I will give you a new spirit, and I will take away the heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. In other words, God will take our old, cold heart of stone, and he will replace it with a heart of flesh, with a new spirit that will be soft and pliable and made new, and only God can do that. You can't do that on your own. You can't work it out. You can't try hard and ever replace a heart of stone with a heart of flesh. That is salvation and God's work. If I were to have a conversation with you, though, some of you are still banking on that personal achievement. And you're the reason why I'm doing this sermon series. You're the one I'm talking to. You're the one that my heart is heavy for today. And I pray that some of you today will come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And and God will change that heart of stone to a heart of flesh. You need an attitude of contrition 
sorrow over your sin and true repentance and faith in Jesus as your Lord. You can't have sorrow over your sin though right now because you don't think you're that bad. Not that bad. Do you realize that in the last five minutes, every single person in this room, including me, has committed enough sin to condemn me to hell for all eternity and you as well? Last five minutes. Oh, last 60 seconds. You say, I haven't been that bad, actually. I've been actually pretty good. I'm, I'm actually listening today. I'm not asleep. But here's the reality. Have you loved the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? No, you haven't. Maybe a little bit, but not with all your soul. You can't. Have you loved your neighbor as yourself? A couple of them. A couple of them we still hate. <laughs> See, that sin in and of itself is enough sin, and you recur, and you compound that sin, that one sin a hundred million times a day deserves punishment for all eternity. You see, we are all sinners, and we have to recognize our need for forgiveness in Jesus. A couple weeks ago, I was at the Southern Baptist Convention, and uh, we elected uh, J.D. Greer as the new president of the convention. That's a great thing. He's a pastor in North Carolina, and uh, I was listening to him talk, and he was, he was explaining how he was watching TV one day, a talk show, and there were two people of faith, one from a biblical worldview and, and another from a not biblical worldview, but kind of knew a little bit about the Bible. And so as they were debating these social issues, they were kind of going back and forth. And one was saying what the Bible says or Jesus says. And the other, other guy kept saying, well, my Jesus wouldn't say that. And they'd argue for a little bit, and he'd go back to him. And, 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 and he'd say, well, my, my Jesus uh, would, would never do that. And after saying that several times, Pastor Greer screamed at the TV, you don't get your own personal Jesus. <laughs> and I thought that was awesome. Because you and I cannot create our own personal version of Jesus. God is not some salad bar where we can take items we like and leave items we don't like. I'll have some cheese, a few croutons, no olives. It is not a Build-A-Bear God that we serve today. When God spoke to Moses, he declared, I am who I am. He didn't say, I am whoever you want me to be. You don't get to pick your own version of Jesus, just like you don't get to pick your own version of Trent Stewart. You don't get to say, man, I love how Trent's favorite hobby is croquet. That's so cool. I, I love, you know, his his wife, Michelle, so great. You know, I, I love the fact that his, his favorite college is the Michigan Wolverines. <clears throat> now, if you don't know me, I don't even know what croquet is. <laughs> My wife's name is Micah, and I loathe the team from up north. I can't even say their name again. If you like them, God bless you. I love you. I just hate your team, right? We'll find unity in Jesus. You don't get to pick your own personal version of Trent Stewart, just like you don't get to pick your own personal version of Jesus Christ. You don't get to pick and recreate who God is, but we do. The almost Christian does it every day. We get to celebrate uh, Independence Day this week, Wednesday, fireworks and hamburgers, hot dogs is the tradition, and um, I love our country. Man, our country has been so blessed. 
God has blessed our nation. It's the greatest nation in the world. We owe a lot to it, um, to a guy by the name of Thomas Jefferson, one of the architects of our country. He literally was such a great leader. He did so much good for our nation. He, 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 you know, one of the authors of the Declaration of Independence, just an incredible, incredible leader. But you do know that he was not a believer. He, he wasn't a Christian. He was an almost Christian. He was what's known as a, as a deist. And a deist believes that there is a God, but he doesn't involve himself personally in the world. God is to them the great clockmaker who creates the clock, winds the clock, and then steps away from it and just lets it run. The deist doesn't believe in the Trinity. The deist does not believe in the inspiration of the Word of God. They do not believe in the miracles of the Bible. They don't believe in any of the supernatural in the Bible. They don't believe in the redemption of salvation. See, Thomas Jefferson wanted his own version of Jesus. And I, I know this to be true based on what he wrote, and, and largely because he wrote his own version of the Bible. It's called the Jefferson Bible. You can go see it in the Smithsonian, one of the Smithsonian's in D.C. And essentially, in his version of the Bible, he left out all the things that he didn't like. He left out all the miracles of Jesus. He left out all the parts that were too difficult for him to understand, too difficult for, you know, for, for, for him to believe. And so on display, the Jefferson Bible can be seen, can be read, you can see it. He wanted his own version of God. And some of you have done the same thing. Nah, maybe you haven't written your own Bible, but you just kind of decided to choose who Jesus is to you. You, you just, oh, my Jesus does this, my Jesus does that. I don't do this, I don't do that. I believe this in the Bible, not that in the Bible. You just kind of recreated who you think God is. We follow this approach all the time. But here's the reality. You only come to God on his terms. You receive Jesus as he truly is, not who you want him to be. And you've got to be willing to hear from him the things you sometimes don't understand and the things that you sometimes get confused by. God tells us who he is in the Bible. This is his word to us. And this book shows us who he is, what he's done, and how we can have him into our life and how we can have heaven as our home. Some of you have decided that you're going to worship a God that you created. And you're going to have to decide today whether or not you're going to continue to worship the God that you created or the all-knowing, the all infinitely powerful, and the God of Jacob, the God of, of Isaac, the God that sent his son Jesus to change this world, and you've got to make that decision. Hudson Taylor, missionary to China in the late 1800s, is famous for saying, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. If he is not Lord of all of your life. In other words, I have given him complete authority of my life. In contrition and in humility, I submit myself to you, Jesus, so that everything in my life is now for you. Everything that I decide now goes through your lens. And, 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 and everything in here, even the hard parts, even the difficult parts, by faith I believe. And I'm praying that you would move my heart 
to understand it, to follow it, and to trust it. Some of you have to realize that you know a lot about you know, the Bible. You're a good old boy here in you know, East Tennessee. But unless you have surrendered your life to Jesus, you're on your way to hell. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. That's a verse a lot of people want to, you know, just edit out of the Bible. Jesus says, I'm the narrow gate. Few find it. I'm praying that some of you find it today. Jesus said that I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man No man comes to the Father except through him. The almost Christian doesn't want to believe that. Many roads lead to heaven. How can you be so arrogant, Trent? How can you be so, you know, high and mighty? You're like the Pharisee. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. If Jesus said it, I believe it. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, and the one who believes in me will live. If you're an almost Christian, that means that you are not a Christian. When it comes to faith, almost means never. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, it wasn't because he was a good guy. It was because he was a good God. And his death on the cross was a sacrifice to pay for your sins that would allow you and I to have my sins forgiven and heaven is my home. And the only way that we can enter heaven is to confess our need for him, to recognize I am not good. I am not good on my own and apart from Jesus. And some of you in the room today need to make that transition from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Some of you wanted to make that decision maybe last week, but you didn't. And today, God is knocking on your heart's door again, saying, man, this is for you. And I want to give you the opportunity today to finally move from almost to all together. Like, I am all in, surrendered, all authority. My heart, it's not based on what I do, but it's based on the cross and the, and the sacrifice that Jesus has made. And so I'm, I'm going all in today. All in, every part of my heart, every part of who I am, I give it to you, God. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to give you this opportunity today, and I want to lead you in a prayer, and I want to encourage you to make this prayer your prayer, and just simply say these words. God, I confess that I am a sinner. I recognize my need for salvation. God, I've been trusting in my own good work. But today, I confess it all. Forgive me. Come into my life. Today, I make you the Lord of my life. Everything I am, I give to you. Come into my life, save me. 
Give me a heart of flesh, a new spirit within me. God, save me. If you prayed that prayer today, would you just look up here at me? Nobody else looking around. Anybody at all in this section looking up at me that I can't see? I see one guy. Would you just pray that prayer, my man? Praise God. Keep looking at me. Anybody else in the middle section here? Anybody else? I see you, man. Praise God. Praise God. How about over here on my right? Anybody looking at me? I've seen two. I've seen one guy back here. Is that, is that true for you, my man? Praise God. Praise God. Hey, if you're a section leader, would you stand up? For those, those three guys and anybody else who I missed that just prayed that prayer and you meant that, these section leaders are going to high-five you in a second, and they want to they love on you for a minute. And so they're going to lead you to this back door, and they're going to spend some time in the care and prayer with you. You can take your spouse, your family, whoever you want to go with you. If you just want to go by yourself, go by yourself. But I want to encourage you to go with them, right? And so uh, in just a second, I'm going to pray one more prayer. We're all going to stand, and when everybody stands, you make your way. Section leaders, you make your way that way and you guys follow him. Hey, by the way, three, three men, like grown men, just looked at me. Can we praise God that those three guys just crossed from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh? Man, I, I praise God for you. Father, we are grateful for the work you just did today. Lord, continue to draw us closer to you and change lives As we sing this last song today, God, we give our hearts in this song because we are so thankful that your grace has saved us, and we're so thankful that you've changed who we are from the inside out. And Lord, we experience a brand new hope and a brand new freedom. And so God, bless us now as we continue to worship you, and we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand to our feet. Those that made those decisions, would you please exit to this back door? Follow our section leaders. Let's worship today. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.